Greetings from the Murder of Grey podcast. Where we look behind the curtain of our own minds. Alright, let's have some fun. Welcome to the Murder of Grey podcast, where we tackle moral and ethical dilemmas each and every week to bring you some very hectic and chaotic answers. Um, As always, I'm Christian. And I'm Chris. And uh, we want to talk to you a little bit about the concept of beauty this week. What is beauty really? What is it to you? And I'm sure that question can be answered in a million different ways, depending on who you ask it to right like i know my definition of it is going to be completely different than yours chris like it's just it's the natural order of things but there is one source of media that really tackled the idea of beauty in a very artistic and beautiful its own beautiful way right (laughs) and we of course Mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about the movie american beauty uh, which is a classic in its own right and if you haven't seen it i definitely recommend it it's one of those like despite you know Kevin Spacey being the lead and all that Mm -hmm. crap and he has his problems now but he definitely made a movie that transcends I guess you know generations I would say like it's something that everyone can relate to uh, because there's definitely a character or at least you'll be able to relate to one of the characters no matter what because everyone is going through such a crazy existential identity crisis and this movie is just chock full of different dilemmas and issues that are tackled in very bizarre and you know kind of horrible ways but they're real they're the real ways in which people might tackle these issues so before we hop into too much of this, what's have you seen American Beauty? What's your take on it? Did you enjoy it? Would you recommend it to our audience? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I saw it a long time ago. Uh, I enjoyed it. I I thought it was different, and I I kind of like those more slower paced movies because I mean I felt like it was slow paced, but uh, it definitely is. <laughs> it it had this like. <sighs> It's weird. I don't get this way with movies too often, but sometimes they have this way of like really capturing you and kind of enveloping you in the story. Like like mm-hmm. you're you're like trapped into it. And that's kind of how I felt with that movie from the music to the cinematography to the themes explored in it. It was just so different. It was crazy how powerful of a movie this was when i saw it and i mean to this day i still think it is one of you know at least in my top 20 movies Mm -hmm. agreed so for those of you who don't know just a real quick rundown of what the movie actually is it follows kevin spacey's character lester who is currently going through a midlife crisis and he's trying to grab hold of that sense of happiness that he used to have as a child when things were a lot simpler in his life. Um, Now you also have, you know, they live in suburbia, that classical, like typical home where it's like too perfect for everybody, the white picket fence, 
all that stuff. It's kind of like the ultimate dream home that a lot of people foresee for themselves. It's kind of like what you would reach out for, you know, like set your goals towards. Uh, And you would think that these things and like these accomplishments that were made during their lives uh, would bring them that sense of happiness. But really, it just made them forget the what brought them joy as they were growing up. And this is kind of his way of reliving that and going back to that. And But he does it in a way that is to the extreme, right? It's It's one of those things where if you don't allow yourself to be happy for a long, a long time, it's going to start to overwhelm and you might end up doing things that are kind of either unhealthy or kind of just not good, you know, like for lack of better words, uh, he just takes it to that ultimate extreme. So let's talk about Lester first, and then we can go into the different characters because each one of them, while they are all going through a different type of identity crisis, they all each have their own different moral issues that they deal with across the way. So starting out with Lester, he, you know, he's at a job that he absolutely hates, but obviously it's making them enough money to seem or appear successful to, you know, the neighborhood. You know, that whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses is a huge concept within this movie. And, you know, in that dead-end job, or the job that he feels like it's a dead-end job, uh, he just, he starts kind of giving up on it, right? Like, he starts just kind of changing the way that he's viewing the world. And eventually, he does end up, you know, leaving it, and he gets a job as a uh, in a fast food joint like he did whenever he was a teenager so he like he went really far extreme to back to a time where he remembered how happy he was and how simple his life was and you know some of us i'm sure like have always thought about that like hey can i like turn back the clock and go you know change my career back to a time when i was happy you know like i i've run into that issue as well where i've tried to relive the, my glory days right quote unquote glory days of being a wrestler again and just thinking about how happy I was just going through those motions and not really having a care in the world. But unfortunately, as an adult, you don't have that luxury. So it, I feel like it's really important to find the things that bring you joy and hold on to them. And that's kind of like his main issue there. But we're reaching that midlife crisis point, right? <laughs> Me and you are, reach, are getting pretty old here, right? We're in our... Early hey mid- there, buddy. Early mid thirties, man. Like we're we're creeping up. We're right around the corner from wanting to, you know, quit our jobs and work at a fast food joint all all over again. Oh yeah. <laughs> Smell like French fries when you come home every single day. But hey, you get free, free burgers food, every day, right? Yeah, yeah buddy. But what's your uh, ultimate take on like the idea of the midlife crisis? Right. Like, I feel like that's something. Like that's a big issue that a lot of people say they go through, but I'm just curious of like what's you what do you think like the the ultimate like underlying like desire is behind it, right? I feel like not like looking at this movie, I mean nostalgia really brings that crisis to an extreme, mm-hmm. you know? For me, like yeah, I collect games. So I mean, you could say I'm like somewhat chasing nostalgia in real life but it's not i feel like it's different you know like with his midlife crisis or anybody's you know a lot of times it happens because they're reaching an age where you know they're looking back at their past and it's like what have i actually done you know what have i found the mold that i thought i was gonna be at this point and 
probably a majority of people don't. And so when they hit that middle age, they're like, oh, oh shit, what do I do? You know, and they start trying to find things that they, that they did in the past to be like, oh, maybe, maybe this will bring me back to those memories before I had this midlife crisis. Or, you know, maybe I can try and find something that's going to, that'll change. That'll get me to that mold that I want to be. And I feel like, especially in like Lester's case, it, he takes it to an extreme and he thinks that he can live his life in this new form, even though it's taking on his past self. Mm-hmm. And while in that crisis, he really just causes a bunch of destruction. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He's a major tornado of issues where it actually becomes incredibly inappropriate. Um, the actions that he's doing, right? Not only is he starting, you know, like he's starting to smoke weed again, whatever. That's fine. It's legal now. But, you know, back then, that like when this movie was made, that was a pretty big issue. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, smoking weed and lifting weights in your garage naked in the middle of the night. That's, yeah, you know, that's what we all do. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> the best way to lift, bro. <laughs> but then he takes it so far as to. Uh, kind of trying to be a teenager again and ends up having these really messed up fantasies about his daughter's best friend and how he wants to be with her physically. And it, that's where it starts to get kind of like incredibly inappropriate where like he went back so far in his own mind that he's trying to be a teenager again. And it's just it's just wrong. Right. And of course, like those scenes are really interestingly like portrayed visually because of the cinematography and all that. And it, it makes it where like you almost forget how inappropriate and wrong this actually is. But looking back at it, you're like, ooh, like, man, that's cringy as hell. Like you really should not have been doing that. And it does actually lead to him acting upon those fantasies at one point. And it's just it's just awkward. It's just not okay. Right. Like it's just, you can't be doing those kind of things. Um, yeah, actually like a real funny story real quick. Uh, I remember in high school, I showed my friend this movie and he ended up like, kind of like falling in love with it. He became obsessed with this movie. And I remember, I remember one day we were all at our house and I did have like a little weight set in the garage because you know, wrestling and all that stuff. And (laughs) one day we were all hanging out at the house and we couldn't find him. We were like, where the hell is this guy? And then we start hearing like things moving around in the garage. Come to find him, he ended up stripping nude and was lifting weights in my garage <laughs> because he was just doing that. And like, I was the only one there that has seen that movie. So I was like, dude, like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so he was just like kind of recreating that. It was funny at the time, but you know, it's just kind of like a weird situation <laughs> to be in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. But I don't know, like the idea of the midlife crisis is I feel like it's it's someone that never was able to hold on to that creative outlet. I think it's so important to have that in your life or just to have those little things that spark joy in your life here and there. They don't have to be like crucial, big, huge things, but you need that outlet. You can't just be you know, chasing the idea of success and trying to keep up with your neighbors and, you know, like living that pipe dream. You need to have like your sense of like comfort yourself. So like with you, you you still collect video games. And I would say that like that's not being or chasing nostalgia per se. That's just you holding on to that sense of joy. 
Right. And I feel like that's the same thing with like with art for me or even just making this podcast for us. Like it, we're holding mm-hmm. on to that sense of that that outlet. We need that. That it brings us happiness. So, of course, we're going to hold on to it and continue doing it because it's, it's keeping us grounded. We're not getting lost uh, completely in this chaotic world of, you know, chasing success and all that, which I mean, we both are doing, of course, but this is allowing us to step back for a moment and, you know, check back in with ourselves and then go back out into the world again and be able to tackle the situations in front of us. So I, I feel like that is so important for people to have so that you don't have these situations of like a midlife crisis. And of course, the movie portrays it in the very like extreme ways of which it can go. But it's, you know, it's it's possible. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone has done pretty much exactly what he did, you know, or gone to those extremes. So I, I think know. that another after like I watched a little bit recently just to kind of like the first little bit and something that really stuck out to me too in you know entailing the midlife crisis is that the movie is being played in the 90s right like it, it's taking place in suburbia and you know he's working that job and basically he's kind of lost his individuality mm. in a sense like his his spark right because he's just become a drone that works in this office, right? And I feel like, especially the 90s, because you have to think the world, or at least around them, America was stable, mm-hmm. in a sense. It, yeah. uh, you know, people were able, you know, the opportunities to have what you want were there. And, you know, thing, things were getting easier, right? The internet was kind of becoming a thing. Phones were a thing. Like, it was, in a sense, like, it was easy to get complacent with your life. and someone in that age who's been working at this job for like a decade doing the same thing day in day out they they lose their form of individuality unless they actively try to keep it Mm -hmm. and i think that was the breaking point was he was starting to see people with his old self and he's like i miss having that like i'm I'm empty right now. Right. And that's when he was like, I need to fill that emptiness back up. And that's why he took it to the extreme because everyone he was working with was the same way. They were all just empty. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, that was the model for success during that time frame, right? Like the whole idea mm-hmm. was to get an office job and then stay there until you retire. Right. Like there was no like changing careers or doing something that you're passionate about. It was find a stable job and stick with it until you retire. And that's basically it. And he followed that model. But that we now know that that model doesn't necessarily work. You need to flex those creative muscles, even if you don't feel like you're creative in order to stay or to continue to be more successful, to be more innovative, to, you know, to just keep your life in check in that sense. And I feel like the the main issue here, or like one of the big leading factors as to why he was chasing that success in the way he was, was his wife, right? Um, his, His wife really was chasing success like crazy she was a aspiring real estate agent in the movie right and uh she wasn't having that much success but she was trying and she kept trying to persevere because she felt like this is what you're supposed to be doing right so she made sure the house was always immaculate and perfect uh everything was like completely like 
clean. The the lawn was well manicured because she wanted everyone from the outside to think that they were uber successful, right? Because she's a real estate agent. She's selling her self-image. And at one point in the movie, there's actually a really interesting scene between her and her daughter, Jane, uh, where she basically calls her an ungrateful little bitch, right? And slaps her on the face and says, uh, she says, don't, uh, like, don't you appreciate what you have? Um, when I was growing up, we lived in a duplex. We didn't even have our own house, right? Like, so trying to say like, oh, you, you should be happy because you have these things. Like these things should be bringing you joy in life and that should be enough. So just shut up, grit your teeth and bear it, right? And that's kind of like the same idea that she was raised on was like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, lash out. You shouldn't speak up because like if you have things, then you're you're good, right? Like you have that sense of success. You have that security. So what else do you, can you possibly need in your life? And of course, this ends up leading to her having an affair with someone who actually portrays that image of successfulness, right? The king who is the king of real estate. Mm. And it, that, that leads down a whole horrible rabbit hole in that sense. But when it comes to portraying an idea of self-success, right? And uh, how important do you feel that is? Um especially like how at the level in which that she was portraying it where it wasn't just at the workplace it was her own home and everything had to portray this idea of her being successful i mean trying to keep up with pretending that everything is successful and perfect is just gonna end up being a heavy weight to bear and i mean you see it in the movie it's like you're chasing that form of success in your eyes which i mean other people look at and they won't really see it the same way so i mean for her it's like once you reach that what you think is the top you know what's after that you are you just going to keep that image like that image eventually will crack and i mean you see it in the movie where she's keeping this trying to make it look all perfect like nothing's wrong but over time, like it's becoming more and more noticeable that everything else around her isn't. And it's just, you know, it's that image is not easy to keep mm -hmm. even in real life. You yeah. know, like you can pretend and portray yourself being like the model nuclear family and stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, there's always cracks in there yeah. and eventually it, it will break. And that's where a lot of problems will pop up. Yeah. I mean, you see her in the movie, you start getting like the emotions start like really amping up over yeah. everything. I, I did find it interesting that whenever she did have freak out moments, she found a quiet place to do it away from people. So even at like her most down times, she fled from like people peering in and looking at her so that they didn't see her break or crack. Like mm -hmm. when she freaked out, most of the time it was in the car, right? When she's driving home, she's yelling, screaming, crying. And then at the end, you know, with the tragic accident that happens to her husband, like she goes to her room, closes the door and screams into a closet, right? Like she's trying to hide that even though like she should just be like, just let it out, right? Like it's okay to feel things. And I think that's such an important like concept to take. And I feel like it, it's being shared more now, especially with like 
let's say with like uh, the most recent Olympics, you know, like uh, how the gymnast spoke out against uh, stress and depression and ended up stepping out of the games. And at first people were like, what are you doing? You know, you're an athlete. Go like do your job. Right. But then, you know, people start realizing like it's okay to feel and it's important to express those feelings and don't let them get all bottled up like that. Because, you know, this is what we see. We, you bottle up your feelings and then eventually they're all going to end up spilling out over the top. So she has a very interesting way of handling her own stressors. And I think that's another amazing thing about this film is that it just shows the different ways in which people handle stress as a whole. Either they flee from it like Lester did, right? Like he had that stress and he just said, well, fuck it. Like I'm out of here, right? He's like, I'm just going to go relive my glory days. Everything's good, whatever. No stress in my life whatsoever, right? And that's one extreme to take. And then hers was like, hold on to all of it and like basically relive it every moment of her life. But don't ever let anyone show like, uh, like see her cracking, you know? So it's it's like, it's a very interesting dynamic between their marriage. And obviously this creates a lot of ripples within their own marriage. They were having issues before all these situations were happening and it just kind of amplifies as the movie progresses. And all of these stresses, I mean, they do affect her child or their child in a major way. Um, Jane does ha- struggle from an identity crisis of her own self. She doesn't know who she wants to be or who she should be uh, because she's been living in this like cookie cutter, like perfect, like you said, a tom- uh, like nuclear life or family style. And it's a tough one to kind of like go through, right? And especially for a teenager who just doesn't know what the hell is going on. And I feel like Jane is definitely one that a lot of the younger generation can relate to uh, just because they just don't know what the hell they want to do with their life. They end up hating their parents for no good reason whatsoever, right? And they blame everything on them, even though their parents are just trying everything they can to give them what they never had. And that's exactly what happened here. I mean... For me, I feel like Jane's story isn't as like impactful or as strong um, just because it, it just sounds like teenage angst, right? It's it's one mm-hmm. of those things. It's just a phase that she's going to get out of. But like she does the whole like, oh, like I wish my, my parents were dead, you know, that like really sad like emo girl, you know, like that, that kind of style. And it just kind of accelerates and just keeps going and going from there. But I, I don't know. What's your take on like the idea of teenage angst? Is it something that like it's it's easily relatable, or is it just kind of like okay, you'll get over it? You know, like is it is it a strong uh, concept to like really hold on to? I think it can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely felt it for a little bit in my teenage years, um, and there you know there was a lot of anger and stuff, but it. I think with jane like her character it's interesting because it's not like it's angst but then it's also the like identity crisis in the sense that because she wants to be this perfect image like her friend Mm -hmm. but at the same time she wants to be like individual and be different and i mean you can't really be both you know and it's interesting how like the first half of the movie, she's so focused on wanting to look like this perfect image of beauty. But then towards the end, she realizes like, oh, like I'm comfortable with where I'm at. And that's the beauty of it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need to do it. And it's interesting because you really see the anger shift 
throughout the movie like that that trying to discover oneself becomes really apparent with her character and though it's never like clarified at the end with it it's interesting seeing how angry she was at the first part and how accepting she became later on Mm -hmm. i feel like it, it she needed someone to just listen to her And that's what like the neighbor boyfriend role kind of came in to do for her. Right. Mm -hmm. It it gave her that outlet, which is good. Like, I guess it was showing like a more positive way in which to handle your stressors was to just talk about them to like let out those, you know, kind of, I guess, like extreme ideas just because like you know you're not going to act on act on them. But it's, it's good to just let that stuff out so you're not holding it in and then eventually maybe lashing out like her parents are doing right in this movie so it's it is interesting and you bring up the idea of like that perfect image and her friend symbolizes that for her angie right because she's Mm -hmm. popular she's thin she has the the body that jane is looking for that whole concept there and what i find really like kind of interesting about it is that like Angie really plays up the idea of being like a sex symbol and she always talks about how like she enjoys the idea of you know men gawking at her and all that stuff and it to the point where like she even says like you know she enjoys the attention that she's getting from Jane's like dad which is obviously creepy as hell but then yeah. you come to find out that like J- or Angie's never actually done any of those things, right? Like it's she's playing the, up this idea because her idea of success and what is I guess like important in life is being like a model, like sex symbol, being popular, being the talk of the town. And so she's trying to fake it, right? Like she's living the idea of fake it till you make it. And I think that's such a a very interesting concept because I feel like it could be a good thing um, if you use it right. Like fake it till you make it is a good tool to use. But what's your take on that whole general idea of fake it till you make it? Do you think that it's something that can be beneficial or do you think that we just should just stick more to who you are so you're portrayed as more genuine to to people? Uh, I think for some people it's important. You know, I feel like, you know, it's depending what you're faking to make it, you know, I mean, that's that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. I I think like if you're if it's something that ultimately you do want that is actually beneficial, I mean, it can be important. But I think. Uh, in her case, you know, it's it's another thing when you're young, you know, you, you want to be someone else for the most part, because you don't know who you actually are. So of course, trying to fake what you think is the perfect image in the adult world. Yeah. You want to be like that. And I feel like that is like a toxic mentality, especially like at a young age, you know, trying to fake something you're not because you think this is what, you know, being an adult will be or what what'll make you stand out and i think i feel like nowadays it's i want to say it's gotten better but with social media being so powerful over like teenagers and stuff with image it's it hasn't really changed too much i think there's been a like a 
bunch of awareness to people saying like, hey, like you don't need to be like, you don't need to look like Ariana Grande or you don't need to look Mm -hmm. like these pop stars anymore. Like you can be yourself. And there's definitely big movements out there that try to teach like young people like, hey, you don't need to follow this mold, create your own. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when this movie was around like the late 90s, you know, they didn't really have the internet for people to be out there and tell them that, right? Like we only had basically the TV and the internet, you know, young people didn't really go on it. So all, all these kids basically saw these images on the TV or, you know, adults around them. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is the perfect kind of adult. Like, this is what you should be like. You know, it's, I don't want to say the American dream because that's to something different, but it had this weird image put on a pedestal. And I think her character, she put herself on a really high pedestal. And, you know, when you do that, it's very hard to reach up to the top. And it's interesting, especially when you compare her character with Jane. It's, I thought it was a really interesting, like, kind of seesaw effect between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely agree. But I, I feel like it's unfortunate about the idea that is being portrayed now where, like, you know, be who you are, accept who you are. Like, it's it's coming from more, like, adults, right? And it's it's still not, like, kids saying it to other kids, you know? So it, it's, it, I, I get where, like, it's starting, we're getting a lot more movements in that general, or in that direction, which is great. And, like, we're standing up for it. But it still isn't, you know, hitting that audience. Like they're they're still not the ones who are feeling that way, right? And like mm-hmm. preaching it to one another, which is unfortunate, right? Yeah, it's still like a competition, you know. I mean, think about when you were a teenager. Did was there like a, a certain image you thought of being an adult would be like? And did you ever fake it, or did you ever think like, you know, this is? this is what it means to be an adult and I need to achieve it like that before you realize like you can just be yourself. I mean, I definitely faked a lot of my life, especially in high school. I mean, I, I I went by a different name in high school. Even I took on a different persona for a long time because I moved around so much that I felt like, like I, at one point I remember in sixth grade, like I went to three different middle schools in one grade, right? Like, so the idea of having long-term friends, to me was something that was intangible. So at one point I figured like, well, this is a chance to be something different. Let's try it out. And then whenever I move schools, I can just be my normal self again or what, you know, like I ended up taking on that, that image. And it wasn't so that, you know, as far as like, Oh, what an adult should be. It was more of like, how does this personality mesh with this group of people? Okay. All right, cool. That works. Or maybe I'm just an asshole now. I'll just be an asshole for a year. And then I go to a different school, you know? And it was a weird thing for me to do, I guess, as a kid. And I'm sure like, uh, there's some psychologists out there that are like, Ooh, that's not good. (laughs) But I guess it, uh, for me, I feel like it helped me find out who I really am because I knew that I wasn't being my true self at that time. Uh, but it did help at least deal with certain social situations and made me feel more comfortable in them, uh, which is important, right? And it, it allows you to then kind of start making real, uh, like making real connections with people after a while. And it, it did work out, 
Um, I did end up getting like some really solid friends, especially in high school, but it, it took a long time, you know, and actually whenever I graduated, a lot of people still didn't know my real name. Like they looked at the yearbook mm. and they were like, hey, we can't find you. And I'm like, oh, did you look under Christian? And they're like, who's that? <laughs> I'm like, that's that's me. Um, yeah, it's nice meeting you for the first time and I'll never see you again. So bye. <laughs> and I ended up being that kind of thing. And I ended up being kind of like for some people's yearbooks, I actually like drew over my picture completely. Like I drew like a little cartoon character over my face and everything. So that I was just like, no, nah, that's not who I am at all. Like, bye. Right. Like it, it was a weird, it was a really weird thing that I did. And I, I, I don't really have like a good reason as to why I did it, but you know, it's, I was a kid. I, I don't know. I guess I was just trying something different. No, I, I can relate. Cause I felt like in high school, I was kind of like a chameleon, you know, I would jump around the different kind of social circles and try to find a group of people that I actually had stuff in common with. And to an extent, I didn't really find any groups. So I was always kind of just like, you know, making, you know, quote unquote friends and, trying to discover who I was. And it wasn't really until like the final year I kind of discovered who I was, but I didn't know how to achieve it. And I mean, it took me a long time to realize how I can. But I mean, I think in that age, especially when you're forced into huge social settings like high school, even middle school, you know, you're, you don't know who you are because you're just growing up. Yeah. And anything can kind of, persuade you to be a certain way because you you don't know yourself especially you know like people that have like there's some parents out there that force a view on their kids and their their kids will take that view and they think that's them but we're all individual you know we can't just follow one set path i mean some people do and you know they're able to live their life and you know some people are happy like that a lot of people are unhappy yeah and the key is just you know finding the comfort of being yourself like that small simple joy is important but it's hard to find that when you're young yeah and actually speaking of parents that press like their own personal ideas very heavily on their child uh that brings up i think the last character that had a really major crisis in this so we've talked about midlife crisis we've talked about the idea of uh portraying success we talked about the idea of you know, faking, faking it till you make it or self image, right? Or the conflicts of self image. Uh, this final character, Colonel Fitz, who is the neighbor's huh. father, he portrays self hate through and through like he is your typical, like old school military, like very strict father, who, you know, has guns in the house and is very manly and, you know, like, still has a high top that uh, like haircut that he had during the military. And like, he really lives his life that way, where like, he even makes his son talk to him as if he was like a grunt, right? Like, and it's, it's, it's kind of disturbing in that sense, where like, he's very aggressive. And then you come to find out that he actually is a homosexual, like he's gay and he's hiding that. And like there's little snippets of it throughout the entire movie where like they happen to like drive past a, a couple. It's two, uh, like two men that live in the neighborhood. And he tells his son like, oh, that's so wrong. It's it's unacceptable and all this stuff. Right. Like he's he's being so outwardly hatred or towards them whenever he's actually just hating his own true self mm -hmm. and it like he's the ultimate like 
climactic end to the movie. And I think it's it's kind of fitting that we talk about his crisis last uh, because he does end up showing his true self to Lester or Kevin Spacey in the movie. And it just does not go well. Right. Uh, he he. He basically comes out to him and not with words, but through actions, right? He ends up mm-hmm. kissing Kevin Spacey and it just does not, it does not end well, unfortunately. I don't really want to like say exactly what happens because I feel like I'm spoiling a movie, but the movie's been out for a really long time um, and I'm sure you can kind of infer what would happen in that situation when you have a militant man who's overly aggressive with a bunch of guns in his house who just came out for the first time and it didn't really go the well the way that he was expecting it to so that yeah yeah so it's it's a really sad story where and it's the one that happens to this day and it's so like it really speaks to the idea of just like being true to yourself and it's so sad to see like so many people who have that self-hatred right like the people who are like racist against their own community and like it it i mean it happens and it's it's unfortunate but man does he take it to a crazy extreme but the actor is fantastic and he portrays this role so damn well and like his range of emotions is insane in this movie uh where it, like he goes from super aggressive to insanely vulnerable and it, it's it's an amazing transformation that's for sure but it's it's one of those that like really reminds you to just be you, right? And I think the overall like arcing story of this is it's not just about finding the beauty in life. It's about being your true self, finding those simple joys in life that really bring you that sense of happiness and keep you grounded as a human being. And I actually wanted to ask you, uh, because they mentioned some really beautiful things, and it's it's small things in life, right? And it's it's the small things that you want to hold on to. But I wanted to ask you, like, what are some of the little things in life that bring you joy? Like, what what's something that you can, like, really simple, like, just a, a minor thing that you're like, yeah, like, that's nice, right? Like, something just to kind of ground you again peace um honestly like the to me it's just you know it sounds like a beauty patch answer world peace no it's <laughs> no, like just being able to accept myself i guess mm-hmm. you know i think that's like to me the ultimate image of beauty or joy is just being able to accept the way things are and be better Mm-hmm. about it you know i feel like you know the people in the movie were chasing these images of beauty or what they thought but you know there's always another side of it and being able to accept that other side is what's important yeah you know it's you can't have everything and think everything is going to be great but if you know how to handle the not so great parts i mean that really brings joy you know you can work through the tough parts and it, you know, you look at all these characters and it's almost like some form of like existential dread, you know, like it's they're all going through these issues and you're like, damn, if they just looked at it from the other light and try to work around it or something like they could find peace. Yeah. And, you know, it's finding peace within yourself is the most important thing, because once you do that, you can kind of handle most situations. Yeah. No, I agree 100%. <clears throat> I mean, for 
for me, like what brings me the most joy in life is being able to share something I'm excited about with somebody else to, and then oh, that too. to share that enthusiasm with people. Right. Like I, I find that so invigorating and like, <clears throat> like it just really gives me like, gives me life, right? Like it, it gives you that spark, that electricity that you need uh, just to keep going. And it's, and it's so amazing to talk about something that someone might know absolutely nothing about, but by the end of the conversation, they might still know nothing about it, but they're excited to hear you talk about it, right? And they, mm-hmm. they want to continue the conversation because they want to hear your enthusiasm. And I, I feel that is so amazing to hear it, not just for me, like sharing ideas with people and like talking to people and being like that overshare, which I can be, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it's it's more about like people sharing their, what they're excited about with me as well, right? Like I love hearing about what brings like, what makes people jazzed, what, what, what they're really into or what they're looking forward to when they get home, because you can hear that, like, that's that one moment in, like, in the conversation when they feel the most genuine. And I absolutely love it. Like, I, I chase those moments with, like, a passion. Like, I, that's why I love talking to people is to find out what they're excited about and then really, like, pick their brain. And let them just go because I know, like coming from personal experience, like I I know that there are so many times when you want to talk about something and you just don't have that person to talk to, right? Mm-hmm. Like I growing up, I was a really bad mumbler, like, and I still do it a lot to this day. But it got it was so bad where like I would start talking about something mumble because I would get nervous about it, and then people would just stop listening or just have their own conversations on the side, and then I would just give up. Right. And I think that's why now, like growing up, I I really strive for that. Like when I he- see someone who's maybe a little bit more shy and timid, like I really want to hear what they're jazzed about. Like I, I'm sure you've seen me do this at work, like with some of the, our coworkers that are very quiet and reserved. And I love getting them talking. I love hearing their interest and like just having those conversations. It's just, yeah, I, I live for those moments. That's actually a really good point because I kind of feel the same way. Like, because I feel like, you know, people don't ask me that kind of stuff. I'm always like, well, I kind of want to ask people because I know how much joy it brings me talking about my interests. Yeah. You know, and people out there have so many different interests. It's just fun learning about stuff. Like, I really do love learning about people because it's just, it's fascinating. Yeah. No, it's it's a beautiful thing. And this movie is an amazing portrayal of that from like we mentioned from the music to the cinematography to the symbolism behind it. I mean, like it's, it's gorgeous all the way through and through, but I, I know that you have um, one concept or one image or one symbol that's portrayed in the movie a lot that you kind of like gravitated towards, but do you want to talk on that? Yeah. Um, I think there's really two symbols, but I mean, the rose is the most important symbol in the movie and because you know to the characters and even to real life you know rose really is a symbol of beauty or you know valentine's is a symbol of love Mm -hmm. and you know every rose has a thorn so of course it's not just a symbol of those two but it's also a symbol of pain and rose has a thorn okay sorry i had to (laughs) i totally forgot that song existed thank you (laughs) i'm gonna play it in the background Um, oh no (laughs) the closing song 
uh, you know, and a lot of people forget that, you know, it's just like before when I said, you know, you can't have everything the way you want it. You know, you can have a party and eat the whole cake. It's, I think I said that right. Yeah. Um, and of course, when there comes beauty, there's always going to be a bad side to it. You know, like just think like, okay, you're keeping this image up, but there's always going to be a downside. There's going to be a point where you can't keep it up. And then, you know, pain will be caused from that. Or, you know, with love, like you can love someone all you want, but if a situation comes up, you know, because you had such a strong emotion, you're going to feel twice as bad when something wrong happens. Like it's, it's interesting because before I, I mean, I looked at roses like kind of like just simply, mm-hmm. like a very simple term. And then when I thought about it, especially kind of towards this movie, I'm like, damn, like every time the rose is kind of brought up in the movie, it symbolizes something that, you know, like love or their attraction. But realizing those situations in the movie are wrong, you know, morally. It it really brings up like, oh, like maybe this image really isn't a beauty. It's more so like it it can symbolize the darker side. Mm-hmm. And it was it was really fascinating. And I think for the other character, the neighbor with the camera, mm-hmm. you know, it it's another symbol kind of beauty in a sense that it can capture the beauty of the world or it can capture like the the darkness, the sadness of the world. You yeah. know, it a camera can capture anything, you know, good, bad, anything. And it's interesting how it's really used in the movie because, you know, he films the good and the bad of his neighbors. And it's it's interesting because you really, you don't really learn much about that neighbor, in my opinion. Yeah. But through what he records and what he says about it, it actually speaks a lot. And it's very interesting. I feel like it's the opposite end of the rose almost. Yeah. Yeah. It, I always find that scene funny. Like when I was younger, now looking back at it, I'm like, oh, that actually was a really deep scene where he's showing like when he asks his, the Jane, uh, like, oh, do you want to see the most beautiful thing I've ever seen? <laughs> and he shows her <laughs> the film of like the bag just blowing in the wind. And like, at first, I was like, okay, this is super silly. I don't get it. But, you know, I probably was too young to really understand it. But he was he was recording something so simple, so small, a small moment in time where there is no control in a sense, right? Like the bag has no control. It's being blown around by the wind, by the world, and it's just kind of going with the flow. It's doing its thing. And eventually, like, it stops, right? Like, it's... It's allowing the world to just kind of move around, move around it without having to fight it, right? Which is what the the whole family with everyone there was doing this entire time with all their little crises and all that. They were fighting the world. They were fighting that 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 force that's beyond their control, right? Like that that whole concept behind that. And just instead of just like going with the flow and like letting the world just revolve around them and and realizing like it's okay like everything's going to be fine in the end and i'm still going to be a bag right like it's just one of those <laughs> things like it at first like i said i was like ooh <laughs> but now it totally makes sense like be the bag right like just kind of it's like that Katy Perry song i you have to you got to sing it now you said it so oh, no. 
<laughs> like just a bag in the wind or something like that. It's not stupid fireworks song. <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think like it's this movie does a great. I, I like it does a great thing where it really tries to focus on on like the small things, which I think is really important for us to hold on to. It's not about looking at like oh, this is my beautiful life. This is my beautiful like career, right? Like it's it's focusing on the little things sometimes because that's what's going to really bring you the most joy. And I, I, there's a monologue at the end of the movie which really is like so impactful. And you can find the monologue on YouTube if you want. Just look up like American Beauty monologue and it's the last like five minutes of the movie. But one of the things that Kevin Spacey's character mentions, or there's a couple things that he goes through that he starts remembering and it's like these little tiny moments in his life that really like just brought him a sense of like happiness or like wholesomeness right and one of them was like uh laying on my back at boy scout camp watching the falling stars or looking at my grandmother's hands and realizing how much they look like paper right like it's those little tiny moments in your life that just show like the fragility of life or like just kind of showing the fact that the world's going to keep moving on, you know, like it's just, it was such a really amazing like ending monologue and it just summed everything up so nicely where just focus on the little things and just kind of be accepting of the world moving on around you. Right. Like it's, I don't know. It, it's hard. It's hard for me to like fully grasp it in words. And I feel like I'm starting to kind of ramble now at this point, but <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's such a great concept. And I, despite if you like the movie or not, I feel like this is just a good movie to remind you to just stay grounded. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I think that's enough for today. Right. I think that's enough for the week. So, yeah. Hope you guys really enjoyed this conversation as we dive into American Beauty, which is a fantastic movie. Um, don't get it confused with American Psycho. It's a much different movie. <laughs> but An amazing movie it's, as well. It's also a very, It's a whole nother social dilemma episode. Oof, yeah, actually, yeah, there you go. And a little teaser for what we might be talking about in the future. Who knows? That could be a really good like Halloween style episode, honestly. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening in. And as always, we like to ask you guys to do us the favor and share the show with a friend if you're enjoying it. Uh, it's the best way for a podcast to get out there. And if you have any other shows out there that you are enjoying, do the same for them because it helps out everybody to continue to grow. But with that, that's going to be it for us this week. And we will talk to you guys again next week. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs>